When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get going with today's podcast, I wanted to share with you the first clinic of the year. We have a great lineup in Illinois. You can check that out at ihsfca.coachesclinic.com. It's headlined by Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern and Mike Loxley of Maryland. There's a ton of great college coaches there, as well as some very successful high school coaches from Illinois and around the country. Again, check that out at ihsfca.coachesclinic.com. There'll be a link in the show notes as well as on the show notes on our homepage at coachandcoordinator.com. This weekend, the Pac-12 is back at it as they get their season going. And this podcast from the archives is with Rob Likens, offensive coordinator at Arizona State. I had the privilege of meeting Rob at OC Magic, which was Tony Franklin's event in Texas two years ago. Rob did a great job presenting on different aspects of being an offensive coordinator, and I had a chance to sit down with him afterwards and discuss his thoughts on being the OC. Take a listen. I'm sure you'll enjoy. I'm at Tony Franklin's OC Magic, sitting down with Rob Likens, who just finished up his two and a half hours here with us, and it was, uh, Coach, it's great to have you, first of all. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that, yeah. man. That was great. Well, I really love what you started with, your story about what high school football really means, and, you know, this game is up against it sometimes, but I think it's important. I think coaches around the country, everybody who cares about this game fights for it because of what it can do for our student-athletes, for those young guys who That's right. we get in our programs. And you started with a story about what this game means to you and would love to have you share that here. Oh yeah, absolutely. So my parents uh, <clears throat> separated, got a divorce when I was at, I think three or four years old at an early age. And, you know, I was just, you know, one of those kids that just didn't, didn't react the right way. I guess you could say with my dad, when my dad wasn't around, I was always looking for some form of of acceptance and, and from some kind of male figure in my life, and I really didn't have that. And so I went searching for it in other ways. And a lot of times when you go searching for things and you don't know what you're looking for, you, you find the wrong things. <laughs> and uh, so I started hanging around the, the wrong people, doing the wrong things, making really bad decisions as a youth growing up, and it kind of culminated in the ninth grade when I, I just became really hard for my mom to handle getting into some trouble doing some really rebellious things and going down a, a really bad path and so I was sent to go live with my dad 
who was in Mississippi at the time. And when I got down there, sure thing, first thing I did was start hanging around the wrong people again. And, but a high school coach, man, stepped out of his comfort zone and uh, got me to go out for football. I don't know why, what he saw in me, because I, I certainly didn't look like the typical high school football player at the time by the way I dressed, the way my hair was, the way I presented myself. But uh, got me to come out for football and... And man, the rest is history. It just completely, totally changed my life. I finally f found out what it was like to be on a team and be be accepted and by a by a, a positive, strong male figure in my life. And man, just kind of filled a void and a hole that was in my heart. And I just went from there, man. I just embraced it and fell in love with football and be actually won the the team captain award of the of my high school. <laughs> You know, two years later, you could have never envisioned that. And that's what uh, high school football has d was done for me. And it set me on a path that just helped me to be successful the rest of my life. Coach, this event here is pretty unique. It's really never been done before. I think Tony's done a great job in, in really putting this together and allowing coaches to get deep on what it takes to be an offensive coordinator. And you were able to share a number of things here, but just this overall concept, I know – Coming up as a coach, there was, the resources we have now are amazing, but we still never have never had anything like this where you can go and get a deep dive on all the things that an offensive coordinator does. And we're not talking about all the scheme things. We're talking about what it takes to do this job and all the things you need to do. What do you think of this opportunity for coaches? Oh, man, it's amazing because it's all trial and error as a coach when, when, when nobody's mentoring you. you. Not every coach is fortunate enough to get mentored by somebody who's been highly successful as a coordinator. or And so they're going to go get a job themselves and just kind of figure it out. But it, my main concern coming into this thing was I wanted, when these guys walked out of here, I wanted them to know about the failures learning from failure and the things that I've seen that, that you shouldn't do. That's really some of the best things to ever learn in life is what not to do. And a lot of times it's the easiest thing, the path to go down. But one thing you got to do as, as a coordinator or a leader is, man, you, you got to put in the time of preparation with all kinds of prior communication and things like that. I don't think people realize how much is involved in being a leader, a head coach, a coordinator in those type of things. And so I just really wanted to point those things out to all of these guys. And that was one of your pillars that you talked about, four yes. pillars. You began with this, the communication being a big one. And I know the one thing I noted was communication with the head coach. And one of the main things you talked about there was play to win the game. And I think that's something now, especially young coordinators, we get tied up in all these stats, right? Oh, oh I'm throwing yes. up 600 yards today and that's right. 50 points. Yeah, but you lost. The right. team lost. And so we get caught up in some of that stuff. I think it was you saying, you know, you're not an independent contractor in this. Right. That you want to play to win the game. So to you, what does that mean? That means it's, it's sometimes you have to sacrifice what you want to do for the betterment of everybody else involved. There's going to be times where you're not very good on offense, but your defense is great. And all you're going to hear in the media, all you're going to hear is how good the defensive coordinator is and all the 
jobs he might be getting and the opportunities he and our offense is not any good and blah, blah, blah. And that's hard, man. It's not easy. We're all human. But you got to do whatever it takes. This is the greatest team game on the planet. And what happens is, is as coaches, we, if we're not careful, we can become hypocrites because we preach every day to our kids the team first, team first, team first, be a team player, sacrifice for the team, when we're not willing to do it as coaches in our own little world of offense and defense and special teams. And I just think, you know, the kids see that, and I think it's hypocritical for us to be preaching be a team player, but we're not willing to be a team player on offense. If your defense is struggling, hey, you know what? It's more important that I take time off the clock than to score a dang touchdown right here, to be honest with you. And that's called winning the game today. And I learned that from, from Herm, and it's something I've always believed in and really started when I was in the triple option, and we had the number one defense in the country and the number one rushing offense in the country, and we had the number one net punt team in the country. And you put those three, three things together, you're going to win all your games. And so we played off of each other, and we played to each other's strengths. So I learned that at an early age, thank goodness. The other thing that impacted me in talking about communication was you talked about the way you treat your assistant coaches and giving them the freedom to communicate and really giving them ownership in, in what you're doing too. And you spent some time talking about really from your end too and in your relationship with the head coach and you know being able to, to say this is what I need. How important is it as a coordinator, somebody who's going to be the leader of a big team, you have 13 assistants you mentioned, to be approachable like that and, and really, again, to create that buy-in that they know you got their backs because you understand exactly what they need from this experience as well. Oh, absolutely, man. It's, it amazes me. I've been in this business for 28 years college. Coaching, I've been in it 30. I did two years in high school. But it's you know what it comes down to, man. It's pride and arrogance, and it's really sad men – they have their own little kingdoms, and they get really paranoid when somebody, it appears that they're coming in to change their kingdom and whatever that is. So they throw a wall up. And I learned this as a, as a really rebellious youngster, is kids throw a wall up. And part of your job as a coach is knocking walls down. Heck, don't worry about, you know, coaching first they ain't listening to anything if they have a wall up you got to knock the wall down first and it's the same thing with coaches we build these walls with each other hey these are the lines you don't cross don't talk about my offense don't talk about my defense and we fail to communicate and if we would just sit down as men in a room and talk about these things you could alleviate so many problems and it's all just finding out what do we need from each other and how can you help me and in, in turn, how can I help you? And I just don't see very many people talking about those things and just opening up and, and, and telling people what they need. Coach, I know you talked about the importance of the communication with the quarterback as well. And one of the things I made note of was you have individual meetings with your starter and the backups are separate from him. You talked about the quarterback really giving you what he likes, what he loves, what he's going to want to run on game day. I never thought of that, the, the idea, especially that starter, is there's an image he has to uphold, and maybe he's not saying everything he needs to 
in that big group meeting where the other guys are, are have their eyes on him. So talk to us a little bit about what you get really out of meeting separately with that quarterback. Yeah, sure. It's it's like having a one-on-one conversation with people. You're more willing to pour your heart out and say things that maybe you wouldn't if there was three people in the room. I mean, as human beings, you know, we're just we worry about what other people think about us and sometimes to the point where it hurts us. But if you can get these kids alone and they they you take that element out of the deal where they have to worry about what comes out of their mouth. What is the guy next to me going to think when I say this? If you take all of that out of the equation, you're going to get to his heart quicker. So I just found individual meetings really, and like I said, you know, in my, my presentation, you got to be able to trust the guy and you got to be able to trust the guys coaching the backups and all that stuff. But I just found it's a, it's just a better way to get into his heart faster Coach, you spoke of communication in a hierarchy, and we started with the head coach. We talked about the assistant coach, now the quarterback. Now the players come, and you really emphasize with the players that it's about being concise about exactly what you expect and need from them and really giving them some examples behind that too. And you went into and gave examples with effort as well. But players need to know exactly what we want or they're not going to be able to give us that. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. And it go, if you're a parent, it goes with your kids. We get frustrated at all lack of communication. If you tell a kid, a player, a young man, another person, this is what I expect out of you. Most of the time, if they know exactly what you want, they're going to try to give it to you. Because people want to be, they want to please their boss, their coach, their parent, most of the time. Now, kids with parents, that's, that's another story. Because <laughs> i got a nine-year-old boy who does just the opposite. But, but most of the time, they're going to try to do what you ask them to do. It's really, when you, when you don't see people doing what you've asked them to, or uh, when you don't see what you want, the results that you want, it's probably the first thing you do is look in the mirror. How well did you communicate that to everybody involved? And if there's a lot of it going on, you probably did a horrible job of communicating and and so you have to look at yourself first. Coach, you had a great quote, and this is one I do a quote of the day. This one's going to be up there at some point, Coach. It is not the elaborate schemes that you win football games with, but well-executed simplicity under pressure. Coaches talk about being simple, simplicity all the time, but I think the key thing you really added to that is the under pressure part that we got to make sure yes we're simple yes they go out and execute their masters at their techniques but the pressure part is what's going to win on game day oh absolutely i learned something from there, there's a, a i'm gonna give a little shout out to my boys at the program who are ex-military personnel that will come in and train your team for for you for 48 hours on things like that and I learned this from something called the OODA loop. And I learned that from them where it's orient, observe, decide, and act. And that's a loop that a human being has to go through from just like it says, you orient, you see it, observe, and then you decide, then you act upon it. And there's a process that a mind, a brain goes through before it can do an action. And you can literally tighten and shorten that OODA loop through repetition and through experience. And so 
our job as coaches is tightening and shortening that OODA loop on a daily basis with our players and not lengthening it by putting more stuff in. And so I think you got to be very careful. So as you're putting in your plays and your offense, you need to look and say, wow, have I ripped that a million times to where his OODA loop has seen every possible situation that could happen so it can react very fast and in the right way? And if I have not, then you don't have any business putting in any other plays. You just got to keep working on tightening and shortening that, that OODA loop. Coach, you made a point to be able to give players some specific examples and show them exactly on film what it means to have championship effort. And you brought up a story of you asked the player to bring clips back to you yeah. of what that looked like, and that was distinctly different than what you wanted to see from him. Yeah, right. And so that's, that's what I was saying. That falls under the communication and as well as everybody's brain thinks differently. Everybody's experiences are differently. And so... You've got to find out, you have to take the time to find out, when I say effort, what does that mean to him? And so I think if you go through that process to finding out those things, and like I said, it takes time, it takes communication, it takes effort, you can change the way kids think about things, and then you can get them going down the right path and get the results that you want. Coach, you did a great job of taking something that started with your pillars and the foundation, and really, as the talk went on, it was really getting deep and detailed into how this works all the way into the game day. And the thing you started with, though, before you got into some of the X and O things was the human element that you have to understand. It is not that X and O. Those are human beings out there. And point being that you use the, the analogy or the story of, of the movie Predator, right? Yeah. Where they, where they found the, the green blood there and, you know, they saw it bleeding and knew, okay, it's got yeah. a weakness that it's we can attack. It's got a weakness, that's yeah. right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think we get so caught up as coaches in scheme and, like, especially if, if you take it at the high school level, the difference of players that you come across, like, let's take, for example, on the offensive line. That's what I love about high school football. You'll look out there. Your left tackle, 6'5", 290, has 25 Division A scholarship offers, and the guy playing next to him may be 5'4", 240, but just like the meanest little sucker in the world as your left, left guard. So players, they're all different. And so it's not like you just throw up an X and an O. And sometimes as coaches, we – we put the, the scheme up there and go, oh, well, we can't run that play because they're in this defensive front. But hold on, man. They're three-tech right now. They're getting destroyed by our guard and our tackle on double team. I don't care if we can't run that. We're still going to keep running it until they stop it. And so I think that we just have a tendency to forget about the human element in football in attacking the human element outside of scheme. Coach, as you got into what it takes to put together a good game plan and a system really that's going to give you advantages, you talked about a simplistic, advantageous system. And there was four things, two call packaging, formations, motions, and tempo. And I know you want to integrate really all those things. My question I wrote down for you as you were talking about that is how do you integrate all those things together into your game plan, into your call sheet, I guess even into your thought process that you have those four things working synergistically. Yeah, it's 
not easy, man, and it's a puzzle that you constantly put together because part of it is the human element. It may, that formation and that play may be the greatest play to run against that team, but you're putting the ball into the hands of maybe your fourth best, fifth best player, which that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? So, so a lot of times it's all about who's touching the ball, what you're going to get out of it, the bang for the buck practice and all of that stuff. There's a lot of things that you have to think through and go through. Here's the thing. you got to make sure that you're not, like I said before, I'm going to refer back to the OODA loop. you just got to make sure you're not lengthening that with getting caught up in all of that stuff. So you start at a very base, bare minimum and start with those things, and then you add to that as you go along. Because you spent some time talking about the analytics side of this and attack third downs. We had Rob Ash, as I mentioned on this podcast before, we talked about some of that championship analytics and the book, and you guys use the book to help you make decisions for you. That goes into being able to game plan for what you call attack third downs. Can you explain to our listeners what our attack third downs are and how you think about those? Yeah, you know, that uh, attack third down is really calling a third down play where you know you possibly have another play after that if you get to a certain yardage. So what I mean by that is if I am told that we are going to go for it if we get to the point where we're going to go for it on fourth down if it's four or less, fourth and four or less. Well, on third and six, I can choose to do two things. I can either call a a run play and try to get two yards and get it to four because I know I'm going to go for it. So I know I already have another play. I could be pretty aggressive if I want to. I may already be in the range. It may be third and four. I'm already in the range. Now, if I wanted to, who knows, maybe I can run a trick play and go completely off what a normal third down and four script would tell you to do. So that helps tremendously with your mindset. And it also lets you know that I'm going to go for it if I get to a certain point, I know that on first down. So I can waste a play or I can be conservative and just try to run four plays in a row that's going to get me three yards. If you could talk a little bit about those formation sheets and how important yeah. they are to you mm-hmm. and just being able to get that big overall picture in putting together a game plan. Yeah, it just brings a level of comfortability to, to the staff. They always have it on hand. We don't have to go back and look. Anytime that they want, they can just very quickly reference, look through a book and see, okay, yeah, those are the top, those are the top fronts I'm going to see, and I'm going to plan for those. I'm not going to chase ghosts and plan for other stuff. And if a guy comes out and something that he doesn't normally do, good luck, I'll go against the defense that doesn't, has only practiced it for two days. That's great. So most good defenses, they're going to line up in what they do good. What that does is for everybody on the staff to be on the same page, and there's not the conversations, hey, they lined up like this against so-and-so, but and you start having all these different conversations about how they line up. Well, we have it all on paper. This is it. These are the percentages, and we're not going to put plays in. This is what really helps is you're not going to put plays in to beat a defense that you see 14% of the time. That's a total waste of time. And so I think that we're guilty of doing that on offense when somebody says, hey, if they line up like this, we'll just do this. And Well, yeah, but they only do it 14% of the time, so I'm not going to take the time to try to beat that. That's the only time I'm going to see it. So I think it helps you to be efficient in your game planning. 
Coach, you spent the time in, in giving us a detailed look at what the game week looks like, almost a minute-by-minute minute detail. You did make the point that 12 hours should be the limit of what you're going to put into that in a day. I can say I've yeah. maybe worked some 16-hour days or slept in my office before, probably a big mistake. But you guys go through, you gave minute-by-minute by, minute by that, and led all the way up to game day. And I, the part I was impressed with was when you talked about your preparation for it, because you mentally, after you get everybody ready, you spend really Friday and a good portion of Saturday is, you, is about you and making sure you're ready to do your job, which I think a lot of us, we go through that week and we do everything we need to and we're up in that press box and then we go, oh, crap, what, yeah. you know, and you need to get focused. But for you, it, it is a process that, like your game week, you've detailed out minute by minute. I guess in a nutshell, kind of give us an overview of, of that process and why you do it. So when you're a coordinator, what happens is, is everybody looks, they look to you. Most guys just aren't going to go and do things on their own. They know they have to check in with their coordinator, just like I don't do things unless I check in with Herm. And if you have 10 to 12 guys on offense, every kind of thing that they want to do, they check in with you. And so the day consists a lot of people coming in, hey, I'm thinking about doing this with the wide receivers. Hey, I'm going to do this with the running backs. Hey. I'm going to do this. And so you're, you're constantly answering a lot of questions. You're doing different things. You're organizing stuff, all this, all that. And you never get time for yourself to just sit down and watch film in a quiet environment and just really just soak it all in and get the different nuances that you can get by watching film. So Friday and Saturday is like my time to sit down and just be all by myself and watch all of the cut-ups, all of the film, and get my mind in. A, in so I'm very comfortable with what I'm going to call, how I'm going to arrange it, how I'm see it. There's and there's plenty of times where I've come in on after Friday night, Saturday morning. I go, you know what, guys, we're going to put this in. It's not going to be something we've never done before as far as a a play, but it could be a formation mm-hmm. and run a certain play out of. But I got that off of my film and. I said, oh, wow, I didn't even see that during the week, but I saw it last night. And I think that helps me out. It just puts you your mind at ease. You feel extremely prepared when the game starts. You're not grasping at straws. You feel very confident. I think we need to be confident. Another thing that I think it does is coaches, man, I've seen it happen a lot where you go, well, Hayes in the barn. The kids just got to play now. Well, you know what? You got to call some plays too. I mean, you're not, you know, your job's not done. Like, you know what I mean? So we're all in this together, and we talk about foxhole mentality. We want them to play hard. You know what? They want you to call good plays, too. They want, you know, they want, they want to be successful. And so that's your part on game day, and I, I just don't want to let the kids down. I don't want to look at my, the, the play calls on Sunday and go, man, that was a bad call because of numbers. That was a bad call. There shouldn't be very many of those at all. And if we can – turn a game into numbers, then we can coach the kids to win one-on-one battles. We can be very successful in offense. Well, Coach, we've only spent about 30 minutes here going over what you talked about for two and a half hours. Again, I, I emphasize this is a great experience and just a ton of information being shared here. But as you look at and you share with us from really beginning to end what game planning, what being an offensive coordinator looks like for Rob Likens and 
you do some amazing things. But if I said, Coach, what's the one thing you do as a coach or as an offensive coordinator that really gives your team the winning edge, what would that be? I think the kids need to know and the coaches need to know that we are all in this together. And I think, man, when you get a bunch of men, and on offense we're looking at you got 30, 30 some guys, you got 10 to 12 coaches. If you can get them with the same mindset, clearly communicate the goal at hand, what we're trying to accomplish, and then they know that you care about them, you can accomplish anything. Anything. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time after a long day up on the podium. Best of luck to you and the Sun Devils in 2019, and thanks for being on the show. All right, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please, if you are enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and click five-star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast. Check out our new home for the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. That's at coachandcoordinator.com. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.